because print is so much about communication. Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Gil Zambrano. Together, we speak to people from around the globe about their practice and passions in the fields of print media and multiples. Hello, print friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products. Currently offering possibly the best thing to happen to relief printmaking, their Woodzilla presses. Beautifully made in the Netherlands, these uniquely engineered presses perfectly combine superior craftsmanship and performance at a price that makes them accessible whether you're a seasoned printmaking pro or new to the craft. Available across five sizes, each Woodzilla press is precisely manufactured from heavy-duty steel and designed to apply uniform pressure without undue work or stress for the artist, while still guaranteeing a beautifully printed result at every reveal. Check out these beauties through the link in the show notes. My guest this week is Haley Takahashi. We talk about her journey as an art history student turned artist, the particulars and complexities of drawing on yukiyoi imagery as a Japanese-American artist, her long-standing self-portrait practice, and how it shows up in her current work. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to get self-reflective with Haley Takahashi. Hi Haley, how's it going? Oh, so good, how are you? <laughs> I'm really good, I'm really good. It is so nice to meet you and I was just introduced to your work through the five by five jurying and I fell in love with it instantly. I was like, I like what this person is doing. And so when the list was sent out for the different podcasters to interview people, I was like, I want Haley Takahashi. <laughs> oh, that is so nice. <laughs> like I told you over our little email conversation, I have been listening to this for so long and it's just so amazing to be on here with you. Well, I'm so happy you're here. And I, like I said, I, I think we're going to have a great chat and I just really look forward to learning more about your work. I Oh, thank you. I'm so excited. <laughs> so before we dive in, if you've listened to an episode or two, I think you know what's coming, which yeah. is the questions. Who you are, where you are, what you do. Cool. Well, I'm Haley Takahashi. I'm currently in my final semester of grad school, getting my MFA at UTK. So I'm based out of Knoxville, but I'm from Fort Collins, Colorado. And I'm a printmaker. <laughs> so I've, I've been feeling a little more interdisciplinary as of late, where I branch in whatever direction my creative spirit takes me. So, but always having that foundation in print. Absolutely. Well, and I think when, when people dive into things a bit and when things, practices get more in depth, particularly through something like grad school, mm-hmm. you can get to the point where you're like, everything is print. Really? Yeah. It's Seriously. all print. Yeah. It's a joke amongst my cohort that we're like, is this a print? Is this a print? Because like <laughs> everything can be a print. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so before we get into the now, mm-hmm. let's dive into the past a little bit. Cool. And can you let me know where you grew up and what role art had in that part of your life? Oh, absolutely. So like I said, I grew up in Fort Collins, Colorado. My dad was actually an art teacher. Uh, he's been retired for a while now, but art has always just intrinsically been part of my life. And I'm, as I've heard many artists say, like it's something they've always known and always done. And mm. I can relate to that a lot. I remember like sitting on my dad's lap really young and being like, draw a hot air balloon, now draw a bird, now draw whatever. And he'd just do it for me, which is really, really sweet and cool. So I I think I always knew I wanted to be an artist and Mm -hmm. I fell very naturally into it because of how I was raised. Absolutely. And so what art did your father do? He, funny enough, did print, Uh paper making, and he taught ceramics and photo at the high school I went to. So he had many a medium too. 
and now he actually is a fly fisherman and oh, lovely. ties little flies and that's what he does, which is really cool. And my mom's very creative too. She sews and quilts and is amazing at that. So I just, I had a very creative upbringing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so when you were finishing up high school, did you know, all right, I'm going to find some art track or did you have a, have a practical stint for a while? <laughs> well, yeah, I went through a weird moment of self-doubt where you have like a partner who isn't supportive mm. and have art teachers who I felt entitled to their praise which I absolutely wasn't and like so it just it was this very strange time where I was fully convinced that I could not make a career out of art and that Mm. there are people who said like it's too hard you don't have what it takes like you're not gonna it's 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 hard and you're not gonna be able to do it and I was like you're right I'm going to do do something else. So I went into undergrad as an art history major. I still love art history. It's so great. I've like played around with the idea of getting another degree in art history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was, I was actually, but I was so lost and so sad because I so deeply believe that I wasn't going to be able to make it as an artist. And I was an art minor and so I only had like a very small number of classes where I could actually take studio art classes and I was signed up for ceramics and photography and I went to the first day of photography and was like absolutely not this is not for me I I only get so many art classes I'm not gonna take this photo class and so I went to my advisor and I was like please just get me in something else. And she's like, the only classes that are open are relief and monotype. And I was like, okay, I don't know what a monotype is, but I'll take that class. And that absolutely changed my life. Like as cheesy as it sounds, it was incredible. I met Melanie Yazzie, who's absolutely as delightful and amazing as her reputation <laughs> oh yeah she's she's on the wish list for the for the podcast for sure oh my God, she's so great I hope you get to talk to her um she was just like exactly what I needed in that mm. time of my life where it was like feeling so so sad and down and going into this print class I remember the first day we were doing monotypes I rolled out ink onto a table that didn't have glass on it and like <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and like, uh, and she was just like so kind and gentle. And she was after like halfway through that class, she like sat me down and she's like, so you're changing your major? Oh, like, no, like, I don't think I can. And she's like, Haley, you're an artist. I don't know what you're doing, but you should be an artist. You should get a BFA. Like, I believe in you. And I just ran with that since then. I love that. That is, that makes me want to cry. It's so sweet. And it's so just like, it's like to, to really be seen by someone like that is always so powerful, I think. Absolutely what I needed at the time. And I'm so grateful. I still get teary eyed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like I, I don't know where I would be without that strange turn of events where I refused to take photo. Um, I think that experience that you had too, and I think at it, it, it a pretty young age has got to be so powerful and forming to know that like when you're not in your truth, even if your truth is impractical or whatever it is, like when you're not in it, it, it creates a real sickness of spirit. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like what, it's what you were experiencing. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're an artist and you need to be doing art. <laughs> I was an artist. I'm an artist. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it was really great. And my parents were incredibly supportive through the entire thing and have been up to forever. So it's great. Yeah, up to today. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, going forward. <laughs> oh, that's that's really beautiful. And so 
you were doing monotype and relief and then you've you've mm-hmm. you switched your major. Yeah. And at this point, you have this art historical background because you were mm-hmm. taking classes in that. Yeah. And at least in your current practice, I definitely see references to yes. historical pieces. Was that weaving in already happening at the undergraduate level because you had this little foray into art history, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I have always been very taken with Japanese ukiyo-e prints. And I think I'm half Japanese, and that's a very big part of my artistic practice. And when I was in art history, that was what I was most excited about. And then when I got into this print class, I was like, okay, now I'm doing the print that doing the process, even though it's not, I wasn't doing like in layer Mokuhanga prints, I was making little monotypes, but having that inspiration has just been something that I've carried with me ever since. And I've mm. been trying to expand past that, like one singular inspiration, but there is, there's just such a wealth of. Yeah. Knowledge. It's a, it's a whole world. I started out at Davidson Galleries in Seattle and in my professional career. And we had a lot of Japanese historical prints mm-hmm. in the collection and we had these, these cylinder boxes and that was, you could see how much they were changing between like Edo period and Shinhanga and all these different things. And then you get into this absolutely brilliant abstraction and minimalism in the mid century. And it's, it is, so deep that I feel like if you were drawing from it artistically, I mean, that is almost a well that would never run dry because there's just so much there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's been, I think in in undergrad, it was a lot of really direct inspiration. And as I've grown, it's become more about me trying to create this identity or, or define this identity for myself as being Japanese American and being biracial and what it means for me, someone who was born and raised in America to be inspired by these pieces. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's something I grapple with a lot. Yeah. And so were you originally introduced to Yukioi and Mokohanga through art history or was that at all a part of your growing up and having artistic people in the family? I think, uh, I feel like Japanese print is already in the American zeitgeist, like the mm-hmm. great wave. You can't go anywhere without seeing that. Yeah. I went to the Met with my family the first time I visited New York and saw the prints like up close and that really changed my point of view on it. And I knew that if I was going to go into art history, I really, that's what I wanted to study because I did have this like personal cultural connection and that hasn't really changed even though I've switched modus modes of working. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so you were talking about that had you had this direct response and now it's a bit evolved as, as you as an artist are evolving. Yeah. And so the way I've seen it appear, I think, really interestingly in your work is actually as objects within the composition. Mm-hmm. So you can tell that sometimes the figures are like how the figures are rendered are a reference to specifically Yukioe tradition. But then the actual pieces will show up as well, which I think is really interesting. It has this inception type quality of the piece within the piece that also is reflecting of the piece. Yeah. 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 I've really been playing around with like the reasons why I chose to be inspired specifically by Edo period Prince and Utamaro and thinking about like the context and meaning behind those works when they were made and then what it means then for me to be working in a similar way now Mm -hmm. and that's also that's changed a lot as I've 
gone through grad school and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because a couple of times you've spoken to what, what it means as someone who's Japanese American taking this imagery and transforming it and turning it into her own voice. And I'm sure this is an ongoing exploration, but do you have any insights for what that does mean? Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm not going to say that I know the like wise, most wise and all seeing answers to this, but, and it is a very much so like an individual struggle, mm-hmm. but I know something that I've been coming to terms with and dealing with is the idea of cultural appropriation. And I still struggle with getting maybe uncharacteristically upset over how the appropriation of Japanese imagery. Mm -hmm. Like I used to be really sour about anime. I, there were just many moments where I felt so upset that there were people who had not gone through the struggles that are present in the American society that we live in and didn't experience marginalization and then were just picking and choosing aesthetic things and reducing an entire population down to those aesthetic, those small symbols or, you know, clothes or pieces of culture. And I used to get like really, really mad about it. Mm -hmm. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, am I, am I even entitled to be using this inspiration in my work? Like I'm Japanese American, I'm not Japanese from Japan. And like, what does that say? And I feel like for a time it felt like reclamation for me Mm -hmm. that I was taking back some sense of this identity and reworking it into my context. And I think now I'm trying to understand like appreciation and appropriation and maybe making more of a, I don't want to say political statement. It's not really a political statement, but to say like what, what does it mean for me as a Japanese American, as someone who's biracial to have to reach for these cultural symbols because it's something that was like taken away or that was looked down upon historically. Mm. Yeah. That's a very long winded answer. (laughs) No, I think it's a beautiful answer and really, I think vulnerable to for you to answer it as honestly as you did when it is such muddy waters. It sounds like like it's your, it's and so personal to you as well. So that's twofold. Like you're working with something that is really complex, but also really personally charged. So I really appreciate your openness to, to the question. Yeah. Cause it is really complicated. Um, which of course is like always like the really reductive phrase that doesn't really mean anything, but (laughs) I don't know a better one as of yet. Mm-hmm. And and as you talk about the appropriation of Japanese imagery, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's so pervasive. And I think mm-hmm. particularly it had, a, I mean, it's has a long history in the United States, but it had this weird climax in the early knots mm-hmm. where the singers on MTV were wearing kimono and everyone was getting kanji tattoos. And it just, it had this huge moment that still continues in in some ways, of course, but where it just was everywhere. And I'm guessing that that was probably around your more formative years. And, and so trying to figure out adult personhood at the same time, you're seeing all of this reflected back to you in popular imagery and media. I mean, I can't imagine that that could not leave an impression on you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, I cannot tell you how many times people I'll be like, yeah, I'm half Japanese. Like my last name is Takahashi. And they'll be like, do you watch anime? Like, are you, do you speak Japanese? And it's like, 
just these very, I don't know, intense questions, like right out of the gate, various big assumptions. And yeah, I did. It's, it's continued to leave an impact on me. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that it's just such a such a misinformed way of trying to yeah. connect and and you know inherently otherizing in yeah. this way that I feel like is just you know at a certain point intention doesn't matter you know yeah. it's like what's what's the real effect here yeah. of this way that you are interacting with Japanese culture and Japanese people exactly yeah and like I I get the very real desire to appreciate these things. I feel like I also have that tendency Mm. and maybe it's for a little bit different reasons, but it is, it is just a big whirling complex beast (laughs) to deal with. Yeah. Do you ever get the opportunity to hash these things out with your Japanese family members or Japanese community or your Japanese parent mm-hmm. and is that someone or, or people who can understand where you're coming from someone you can connect with on these issues and get get other perspectives yeah I haven't really found that mm. like community per se mm-hmm. I find that a lot of other biracial artists who I meet we have a synergy or like connection where we understand the reasons behind the choices we make and the art that we make. And that's really beautiful and lovely. And I specifically really wanted to go to UTK to work with Koichi Yamamoto. Mm-hmm. It was very important to me when choosing grad schools to go to a school with a Asian or Asian American faculty member because I knew I would want to hash all these issues. And Koichi is fantastic. One of the most generous people I've ever met. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to get a chance to give you some space to reflect on the women in your work and the, the female bodies, because there is a long and deep and horrendous tradition of fetishizing and commodifying Japanese women's bodies. Yes. Through art, through culture. And a lot of that has to do, that objectification can come through in the way the bodies are shown and take up in public spaces through works of art or through advertisements or whatever it is. And so you are putting these bodies in your work standing on the shoulders of this huge cultural burden. Yeah. (laughs) Can you speak to that? I know it's a huge question, but. Yeah, yeah, that is a big question. I've always seen the figures in my work as extensions of myself. Mm -hmm. I had a really cute elementary school art teacher who had us draw self-portraits every year. Mm -hmm. And I ran with that and continue to do it and still continue to do that. And it feels very like self-reflective. And so all of these figures, I rarely, I don't trying to even think about a piece where I didn't intentionally make the main figure an extension of myself. Mm. And that sounds so narcissistic. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm trying to be truthful about these like, themes and things that I'm trying to express through my work. And I think I can't speak for anyone else or anyone else's experience or tell anyone else what to feel or how they've experienced things. So I've filtered everything through me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the pieces that do have those traditional rendered, like the, you know, Japanese print style figures they were really heavily based on Utamaro and specifically 12 Hours in Yoshiwara, which is a very problematic series of prints. Now, if you think about the context, that it was glorifying of the red light district of Edo. Mm-hmm. And it was depicting these women as like having happy, beautiful lives when in reality yeah. it wasn't really what it was. 
And I tried to think about that as like, what would somebody looking at my life see? Hmm. So I wanted to be very candid about like longing and isolation and loneliness. And also the figure, I always, I never make the figure like confronting the viewer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's both a way to maybe protect the figure a little bit, but also to maybe make the viewer contend with their position as a viewer. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? The, yeah. the viewer in the space. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that it it reminds me too of of traditional Yukioi depictions of of women is that they're mm-hmm. often it's that showing off the the back of the neck I mean yeah which is the the course like the mm-hmm. the erogenous zone I don't know yeah. how to say that respectfully but it's it's yeah. it's it's, it's, the, it's the sexy the sexy bits yeah. Yeah. um <laughs> and and seeing that too in in your contemporary figures it just has such a sense of time and place that mm-hmm. then is butted up against Dr. Pepper cans. Exactly. And I think it gives such a, such an interesting feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of time and place and history sort of all coming together. Yeah, absolutely. I know that not everyone knows the history of Japanese prints and can relate back to like these subtle details, but I'd hope that they're communicating a sense of like nuanced re-examining of these old sources Mm -hmm. the way that I have in making the work. Mm. Yeah. And I think what's sort of interesting about the visual lexicon is that I think people know that silhouette, even if they don't know that they know it of the, the, the dark hair tied up, Mm-hmm. And neck from behind. I think people, even if they've just seen it on the walls in Pan Asian cuisine restaurants in a strip mall, <laughs> I think that, I think that it 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 is such an iconic symbol, at least for me, that I think it it will come through even if they're not a print nerd yeah. like myself. I hope so. So then you also do. And particularly last year in 2020 and, and in 2021, you've seen this use of actual photography that look like historical photographs or family photographs. Who, who are these figures and how does it fit in with everything? Yeah, I started doing some cyanotypes. So mm. that's one photo method. I'm Screen print is probably my favorite of the print mediums and just everything you can do with it. So that's been another way that I started using photos, but I got, I had access to these family photos and I really wanted to cash through family history, maybe a little bit of generational trauma, also a sense of like reclamation. Some of them are from my dad's side of the family. There's pictures of my grandparents and my dad and his sisters as children there's I've done some work with like my dad's air force portrait Mm -hmm. one of them is a picture of my great grandma on my mom's side who her name was Nona even though she is not Italian and she was a grandma (laughs) because Nona means grandma in Italian but yeah so but she was a firecracker and a really awesome lady and thinking about that maternal line as well because mm-hmm. that that has been something that I have maybe neglected a little bit in my work I'm so focused on trying to hash out and work through my Japanese-ness that I sometimes forget about my whiteness as well mm-hmm. um, and I think as I continue on as an artist that will be something that I will figure out <laughs> yeah yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's such an interesting part of that exploration and part of the inherent white supremacist culture of the United <laughs> States is that 
in mixed race people, the whiteness culturally tends to be erased because yeah. it's just like, it's, it's trying to continue to hold the seat of power yeah. by not letting people in. That's, that's, yeah. that's the goal. That's how, that's how it works. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and I think for, for people who through the explicit and implicit bias that, that non-white people experience, mm -hmm. I could see how the non-white identity would feel like it was coming more forward because of mm -hmm. how you're received in the world. And Absolutely. then also to have to then realize, wait, 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 I'm, I'm so much complex. I'm a complex thing. And, and look through that has got to be a whole, a whole nother kettle of fish. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I contain multitudes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very hard. And I think it was not something that I started to really contend with until I started making prints and mm -hmm. working with And it was one of those things that I tried to, when I was younger, I can remember trying to not be as Japanese, which mm -hmm. is so heartbreaking now to think about. And another reason that I am really attached to these family photos is my grandparents were interned during World War II. And I have a lot of strong feelings. And I, I don't know if anger is the right word, but sadness mm -hmm. surrounding what was taken from them. And the fact that like my dad never learned Japanese and he probably didn't learn Japanese because his parents were so afraid of what would happen if someone saw him speaking Japanese. Maybe he doesn't feel that way. I haven't talked to him about it and I probably should. But yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel as if something has been taken and it's very hard to get back. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's clinging to the like family ephemera. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that. That makes that makes a lot of sense, and I know that some of the imagery around the Japanese internment camps is, shows up in your work, and yeah. I feel like there's something about how that history of Japanese internment is so hidden. Yeah, that it's it's a devastating part of our history. Yeah, that. I think even when I was in school in the 1990s, wasn't really talked about in the Pacific Northwest where there were massive internment camps. Like that history there is so recent and so present. Yeah. I mean, the biggest fairgrounds in the state is the site of a Japanese internment camp. Yeah. And yeah. it's still not put forward in that traditional telling of World War II, yeah. which is like, Hitler was bad and Europe was losing. And then we came in the end yeah. and we saved yeah. the world. And it's just like, yeah. yeah so yeah, like so much happened. And <laughs> yeah. I remember in fifth grade, we were learning about the Holocaust and we were reading A Fault in Our Stars and my my sweet sweet little baby Haley, oh. I went up to my teacher and I was like, "Am I Jewish?" Oh. And she was like, she laughed and she was like, "Haley, no, you're not Jewish." And she, of course, like both my parents were educators. She knew my family, and I was like, "But my family got taken away. Yeah. And my family went to camp." Sorry, I'm like tearing up talking about it. Okay, yeah. But she was incredible, and we had a full week where we just talked about Japanese internment. Um, sorry. <laughs> no, no need to apologize at all. Yeah, but that was a really beautiful thing for her to do. It wasn't part of the curriculum and she saw fit to tell us about it. Yeah. So that was really cool. And yeah. I still, I still obviously carry a lot of sadness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm just, 
giving giving you some space. I don't want to I don't want to jump and, and cut you off at all in it. So oh, that's no. why I'm just being being quiet over here. I want to make sure that you totally say fine. everything that you you need to and want to because yeah, oh, okay. I'm. I can like, I can feel it like through the, through the screen. The hiddenness of the history is just horrendous and confusing and gaslighting and all of those things for like the Japanese American experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so given that history that, that you feel so strongly and it's still so present for you. Yeah. How do you go about even beginning to fold something like that into an artistic practice? Because it's it's so it's oh. so big, and I can feel like how much it's a part of you. Mm-hmm. I would. And how do you wed that to your making? Yeah, it's sometimes it's hard for me to think about these like multiple facets of myself at once. So I feel like I've had bodies of work that are really talking about family history and really focused on making sure the stories are told. Because if we, the people who were in internment camps who are still alive are very old. And again, this is a history that hasn't been outwardly shared for a very long time I think it's starting to change um hopefully fingers crossed and I feel like if I don't talk about it then who's going to mm-hmm. I'm also like incredibly inspired by Roger Shimomura yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen his work like I remember he had a piece up at the KMA and I just stood in the gallery and cried oh. because of me, but and I think seeing someone talk so candidly about that experience was really eye-opening to me Mm -hmm. and like it's something that my family won't talk about and it's something that like I I feel I would be disrespectful to ask of my family members who are still living that experience that even though it is I feel like so vital to understanding how I exist in this society so it's really grasping at straws and trying to work through things through the work it's very cathartic and therapeutic at times but yeah I try and keep the memory alive per se Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. one of the pieces I'm particularly thinking of that is just really like hit you over the head with a brick powerful that you've done is, <laughs> is the, is the kimono yeah. that hangs with, with the text is, yeah. I don't know if it, you, I'm sure you can speak to if it's from a, a, a poster or, a, or a, a newspaper or something, but it looks like, I think maybe like a, a poster. That's the executive order. Yeah. On the fabric. And it's just, it's so beautiful and so chilling at the same time. And I think really, powerful in the space that it takes up yeah and so this is also sort of a way to get into being curious about making the work that you do translate from the two-dimensional to the three-dimensional yeah, I think some of the the reason why that piece is like has so much presence is because of its physical presence because it's it's hanging you can walk around it it's large so it's it's serving a really different purpose than than a small print so yeah. No, I'm, I'm hoping you can speak to that element of what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. I, that uh, foray into kimono making was me really just like following a hunch and a desire. And like I said, my mom's a seamstress. Um, mm. So I've known how to sew. She taught me how to sew when I was very young. I have a the sewing machine I use now is passed down through three generations of my family through on my mom's side. And I knew that I wanted to print on fabric. I knew that I wanted to make kimonos because they speak so closely to a body. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
I mean, I, I'm so, I love figures and I think the kimono is just an extension of the figure, but it's also talking about absence and the absence of the figure while also representing it. And that piece came from this frustration where I wanted people to be confronted with the history Mm-hmm. and have to contend with it in the space and so it's like eight feet tall five feet wide it's I believe like 42 yards of fabric that I wow. hand printed and hand dyed and it was a lot of labor and <laughs> a lot of work and it felt I felt very driven and very passionate to make it and it serves as one of my most successful pieces that I've ever made and then I think because of the success of that piece I've been constantly curious about how I can translate print or use print in the three-dimensional space. And actually for my master's show, for my thesis, I'm building a room of shoji screens. Oh, wow. Uh Um, So it'll be like a room within a room that the audience can't enter. They can't enter the interior room. And have a light source in the center of that and have print stretched on the outside because print is so much about communication right mm-hmm. I think and that could be my Gemini rising talking but, <laughs> um, I, I love print for it's like the the context of communication of getting knowledge out there or sharing information and it's I've been thinking about bringing when I bring it into a three-dimensional space how is this communicating differently or better or how can I best communicate what I'm trying to communicate with the medium so that's been the inspiration behind that yeah absolutely and and to that end you recently had an exhibition at Gallery 1010, a collaborative that had a lot of 3D works in it at Silk Memorial. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Yeah, So me and another member of the cohort, his name is Anthony Huang. He's incredible. He was doing these huge fabric installations. And I approached him and I was like, Anthony, <laughs> fabric. I have a sewing machine. We need to make kimonos, and we. So we like set the date. We did it. Applied for the show. Made the kimonos, and then everything else in that show was works on fabric as well. And we were both thinking about this, like cultural history, our relationship to it having like an emotional response and I ended up also he printed all the fabric on the that was on the outside and then I printed and dyed all the fabric on the inside and so thinking about like what is outwardly shown and what is close to you mm-hmm. within that but it was just a very logical collaboration and I really enjoyed working with him and working with another Asian artist I think is awesome and I love the idea of expanding community and working together and so that was great oh that's wonderful yeah and we can cut this out if if you don't want it in there but (laughs) I mean if you're particularly keen to work with other artists would you say that if they wanted to to reach out to you if they hear the podcast and are interested you'd be open to it absolutely oh good working with literally anyone I think we have so much that can be shared Mm, and mm -hmm. it's such an awesome medium because we can share it so freely and like print exchanges and projects and yeah I think I'd just be so psyched to talk with and work with anyone oh good I love that I love that a true print friend (laughs) print friend yeah absolutely as you mentioned you're getting to the point where you're working on your senior show or your yeah. it, no, it's not a senior show if it's a graduate school. It's the like master show, thesis show. Yeah. yeah. Right, you're working on your thesis show. So that means that you're coming to the end of the graduate school experience. 
what are you hoping to do after? Are you looking to to teach, to travel, to do residencies? I mean, all of the above, none of the above? I, that is such a big question right now. (laughs) (laughs) I think I always wanted to teach and especially being the child of two teachers, Mm -hmm. I value the process of education and the people who get their lives to teaching, I think are incredible people. And I would love to be in that realm. And at the same, in the same breath, I'm 25. Mm -hmm. I'm a teensy tiny little baby (laughs) in the grand scheme of my entire art career. And I would, I want to just experience whatever I can experience. I want to do residencies or travel or yeah, whatever. But I also really want to teach. It's very, it's hard. There's, it's like, there's too many choices right now. Mm, Yeah, totally. And I can imagine too, like, particularly at the place where you are leading up to the thesis show, so much creativity and energy and processing power is going towards that, that it almost probably seems like the deciding what comes after that just needs to happen when you get there. Because right now you're making the biggest, Uh, most ambitious art collaboration of your life right now. (laughs) Yeah. But it's also like, it's just such a little drop in the pond of what I will hopefully do in the rest of my artistic career. Absolutely. I got to like applications are due soon and like mm-hmm. <laughs> all that so it's it's an interesting place to be in for sure <laughs> yeah definitely I want to get a chance to talk to you a little bit more about the craft of your work and the the actual media that you use mm-hmm. and this idea of using these images that draw from traditional yukioi, but you're not using woodcuts to do mm-hmm. them and that actual philosophy behind that choice. Yeah, absolutely. I just adore screen printing. Mm. It makes sense to me ever since I started doing it. It just clicked and made sense. And I think when it got down to the concepts and techniques, I started I started on a path where I was like I really need to learn mokuhonga I really need to learn relief and it just like didn't make sense to me the Mm. way this green print did and so I was thinking like how can I conceptually back this and like what is my conceptual choice and I think it really comes down to that pop communication that like very contemporary feeling that screen printing can have and the very direct, very flat colors. I think there's a lot of similarities between mm-hmm. what you can do with wood blocks and what you can do with screen printing. And I love a blend roll, a split <laughs> mountain. I as cheesy as it is, I bet so many people <laughs> who listen to this are probably like, of course. <laughs> but Thinking back to the, like the Bokashi gradients mm-hmm. in Mokuhanga and that like soft blend, you can do that with screen printing, and that's really interesting to me. And so I think it speaks to me not just trying to recreate ukiyo-e prints, but like actually filtering it through myself and transforming it and speaking in a contemporary fashion. Oh, that's, that's, that's really beautiful. So what are you looking forward to? Anything else on the horizon that you want people to know about, that you want support for, anything like that? I mean, five by five. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I still am absolutely flabbergasted that I was chosen for this. My thesis is coming up at the end of March, which is very soon. Yeah. If anyone wants to hire a super cool printmaker who knows lots of stuff, let me know. (laughs) You're like, I know a girl. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm, yeah, I just, I think 
trying to experience the present moment and yeah yeah not look too far in the future but yeah that's wonderful well where can people find you follow you get in touch yes my instagram is Haley tokiko h-a-l-e-y-t-o-k-i-k-o and my website is i believe just haleytakahashi.com usually like dming through instagram is the best way to reach me i am a zoomer uh-huh. in that way <laughs> but, yeah i would absolutely love to talk to people and share stories and yeah i love it well <laughs> Haley, it has been my absolute pleasure to talk with you you were a delight and I am so happy I got introduced to your work and I can't wait to follow what you're going to do with your wonderful self. And thank you for being so open and vulnerable and, and honest about your experience. It was, it was an honor to, to hear it. It was absolutely incredible to talk to you. It's so surreal. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for giving me space to share these stories oh i can't wait to stay in touch i'm so excited oh so exciting (laughs) if you like today's episode we have a patreon where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content like shop talk shorts where our editor timothy pauschak digs deep on materials processes and techniques with past guests also if monetary support isn't in the cards right now You can leave a review for us on your podcast listening app of choice or buy something from one of our sponsors and tell them Hello Print Friend sent you. But as always, the very, very best thing you can do to support this podcast is by listening and sharing with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Johanna Mueller, artist in the upcoming 5x5 exhibition taking place at Print Santa Fe. For more information on Print Santa Fe, you can go to www.printsantafe.org. We talk about drawing inspiration from the natural world, building a physically sustainable practice as a wood engraver, a bear burglar, and creating artistic community outside of the big city. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.